My name is Scott Chaloner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. As regular listeners of our programme will know very well, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And to this end, it is my delight to be joined by Dr. Arthur Krebers on today's programme. Dr. Krebers is the Head of Corporate Climate and ESG Capital Markets at NatWest and part of his role involves publishing research in a range of ESG trends such as sustainable treasury strategies and the green halo effect. Um, Arthur, very warm welcome to you and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much Scott for having me. Look forward to the discussion. Likewise, I'm really looking forward to the uh, the discussion that we're going to have on the uh, the show today. Um, but just to start for the uh, for the listeners that might not be familiar with uh, yourself and uh, your role, um, I've obviously given a very brief outline of what it is that you do. But what is it that you specialise in, in your own words, please? Absolutely. So my role within NatWest is to help our corporate clients embed sustainability within their finance function. Uh, and that could be very day-to-day things like thinking about how they manage their cash, thinking about their suppliers, thinking about the kind of metrics that they're targeting. Um, but it can also be larger things like, like a major financing exercise that has a sustainability component. Yeah, and when we talk about sustainable finance at large, just for, again, uh, people tuning in that may not be familiar with the whole topic, what actually is uh, the definition of sustainable finance in simple terms? I guess every uh, person who's filled you ask will have a slightly different um, perspective on that. Mm. Um, in, in my mind, the key thing is the realization that every financial decision has a sustainability impact. And for me, that is sustainable finance. And you know, that realization has led to a whole raft of financial instruments that, that make that connection very, very explicit. Um, and in my mind, what's been going on that's really exciting within the financial arena in the UK and beyond, it's this revolution whereby every person that's involved in how finance moves around, uh, it's, it's starting to have their responsibilities expanded so that they're not just thinking about the narrow financial gain or loss, but also the impact that that money is having climate and more broadly on achieving sustainability objectives. And um, when we think about the uh, the finance sector, um, why actually is it so crucial to addressing the uh, the climate crisis, do you think? That's, it's a great question. Well, I think there's two points. I think one, you know, to deal with the climate change emergency, to deal with a lot of other uh, challenges that we're facing as a society requires substantial investments. Uh, and, and hence it requires channeling of money from organizations you know, like pension funds, like insurers that are looking to invest money to organizations that are best placed uh, to help deal with those sustainability challenges. Yeah. There's estimates here that just thinking about the climate investments that are needed for the next 30 years um, will require us to raise between 100 to $150 trillion equivalent. So there's a lot of money that is needed. That's one part. And then the other part is this this knock-on effect. If if you're able to get a large financial institution like banks, like fund managers, to really take sustainability seriously, that has a knock-on effect on all of our clients, right? All the clients we invest in, all the clients we lend to. I think those two reasons are critical. 
Absolutely. And um, just for those business leaders that might be tuning into this uh, programme today um, and they're thinking about, you know, their environmental, social, corporate governance, uh, what actually makes a good ESG policy? What are the hallmarks of one? Absolutely. I think there's, there's, there's various elements to that. I think the, the first part is uh, making sure that your ESG policy um, is, is really well aligned um, with the most sustainable, most material ESG topics facing your corporate and indeed your, your sector. The, the challenge, I think, for a lot of managers has been um, that ESG has become a little bit of an alphabet soup right there thousands of different metrics, initiatives, uh, data points that, that you may look at uh, as a company. Uh, but trying to take the fact, you know, that 80-20 rule for ATO principle, what are the core things, uh, the core standards, the items that are really relevant for my uh, for my sector? I mean, it, it, it may be, for instance, that water management isn't as relevant for your company because all the water you manage is through the, you know, the employee bathrooms. Mm. Um, or maybe actually water management is very critical because you're, for instance, a beverage, uh, a beverage company. So that, that part is key. I think the second part is making sure it, it remains iterative. I mean, there's this misconception that ESG is set in stone, that your priorities today will be your priorities five years from now. And there has to be a realization that it will iterate and, and being open to feedback from your key stakeholders, be that your suppliers, your customers, your investors. It's important there. And the final piece is you know, being very transparent about, about the policy and, and making sure it is externally reviewed. It's not just your words people take for it, but you've had a, a credible external party who's looked at all the metrics, who's looked at the policy, who's given their stamp of approval. Yeah, certainly makes sense uh, from my perspective. And when it comes to sort of translating those policies into sort of everyday sort of treasury or finance best practices for businesses, um, how can we sort of, you know, practically apply um, ESG into sort of our day-to-day operations, do you think? Sure. So when it comes to treasury teams, I mean, when I started working in this space 10 years ago, these conversations were quite one-dimensional, mm. you know, I do a green loan or not? You know, it, it, was, it was very focused on a particular product. But what's been taking place in the last three, four or five years with treasury teams has been a much more holistic appreciation of this topic. So we prefer speaking about sustainable treasury best practices. So for all of the work streams that I'm responsible for as a treasurer, how can I overlay those with sustainability? And again, it can be, as I was saying earlier, very simple things like Managing my, my excess cash. Shall I focus on banks with strong ESG credentials? Shall I focus on green deposit um, products? So it, 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 it really looking at all those work streams and then realizing that when it comes to you know, ESG technologies that you can consider, if we use that term, um, there's fundamentally two of them. You know, there's the use of proceeds, so that the, ensuring that money is directed towards a particular sustainability project, and again, that can work for a loan, a bond, deposit. Um, and then there's this KPI link technology where you link the pricing of the financial instrument, you know, partly to meeting sustainability objectives. And again, we've seen that also work for particular loans, but, but even for, say, uh, interest rate swaps or more or more structured products that treasurers uh, engage with. So those two technologies are important to keep in mind and then looking at all those work streams. 
Yeah, and again, uh, certainly makes sense from my perspective, and it's really uh, interesting stuff, isn't it? And uh, obviously, when we think of uh, the green investments that you know um, that 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 we can be looking into, sort of because we we need to think about obviously sustainable finance. It's essentially also where our money is going. Uh, what are the uh, the kinds of projects that we do see investment going in if it's going to be green investments? Uh, well, it's, it's become a very very broad church. Mm. Um, green investments so that there are um, you know investments that are you know, consider a little bit more mundane in terms of retrofits with, with within buildings including insulation including the lighting etc mm. so there's those elements are very quite invested technologies are very clear what the so that the energy savings are etc and, and then increasingly the space is moving towards newer less tested um, technologies, if you think about green hydrogen, if you think about carbon capture, if you think about the role um, of, of, of also data and technology into helping us optimize our energy usage. You know, when, when I think about green investments, um, I think about investments that have a financial return mm. and also this, this green return or a green alpha. Uh, you can't always... You know, Fully estimated, but that in my mind is something you need to, need to bear in mind. What am I expecting financial compensation, and what am I expecting in terms of a, you know, a CO two or an environmental uh, improvements? So those two elements. Yeah, those are the key things, aren't they? It's because uh, when we think about sort of investment into sort of green projects, sourcing materials that have been sort of made in a sustainable way it tends to be at the moment more expensive doesn't it so it's it's balancing kind of the uh, the financial uh, side of it out with essentially offsetting the uh, the carbon emissions isn't it and i suppose that can be a little bit of a challenge can't it um, absolutely uh, particularly in today's uh, you know cost of living mm. um, situation i think it's a, a, a really fair point um there, there is increasing evidence that Consumers and in, indeed the newer you know, on the investor side and the impact funds um, are, are taking a little bit more of a balanced view when it comes to both the cost components and the environmental impact components. Um, but but it's absolutely right that that's something that you always you know, need to balance because ultimately it's not sustainable if your organization defaults. So you can be both to make sure that the, the bottom line is, uh, is looked after. Yeah, absolutely right. And um, speaking of sort of bottom lines as well, um, we often hear talk of the uh, the green economy and how it's going to sort of, you know, create more jobs. Um, is there real evidence that uh, that is going to be the case and that society and the economy will benefit as well as the planet? And the reason I say that is because when we talk about it in that context, it seems to be very much sort of centred around just green energy, doesn't it? It's about sort of building wind farms. We'll need people to build the wind farms. We'll need people to maintain, obviously, these are new renewable energy resources. Um, but I suppose the green economy goes just beyond the energy sector, doesn't it? It's a really... It's a really valid point, and, and in my mind, it is very telling that the government a couple of, year, a couple of years ago unveiled what they call their green industrial revolution, mm. uh, and I think that's a really telling word. Right, it's thinking about the whole breadth of the real economy and how every sector, including ones that currently are very carbon intensive, can transition, can develop you know, new services, new products. Um, that, that are energy and carbon efficient and, and in due course, uh, energy and carbon neutral. And, and undoubtedly, that, that will create 
different types of, of, of human capital requirements. Um, now, the area of, of increasing focus is, okay, but in the meantime, how do we support people in um, preparing themselves for, for that labor market? Because clearly, uh, people are trained up to, to, to deal with, um, you know, say, more fossil fuel focused uh, energy generation and that may not immediately translate into the right skill set for, for wind or solar uh, related job. So, so hence, what we have seen is this concept of a just transition has really grown in importance. So, so yes, we want to get um, carbon neutral uh, for our country, for, for, for the companies in, in, in the country, um, but how do we support people that we maintain you know, the societal um, buy-in for, for, for that agenda? Exactly right. And obviously a part of that is going to essentially be addressing what's going to be a new skills gap. I mean, we already see a lot of different skill shortages in different sectors of UK industry, but we do need people trained up to, you know, deal with these new sort of carbon yeah. neutral technologies. So like I say, education and uh, the government um, and also industry, they've all got to come together. All stakeholders really need to be collaborating very strongly to really make sure we deliver on that. Absolutely, no. That that's really well well put, and that that's I mean that that's what one of the elements of my my role about that is amongst amongst others. That is that is very satisfying. Is that um, it, it is about collaboration, and a lot of the work that I do is is deep collaborating with clients, collaborating with other banks, with other stakeholders um, to, to come together to develop new financial products, financial initiatives um, that, that, that can help us. I mean, I think there's a realization that this cannot achieve, be achieved by any organization or indeed any part of the economy in, in, in a silo. Exactly right. And um, something I do want to talk about as well, whilst we're, uh, we're on the program, is uh, something called the, uh, the green halo effect. And this is this idea that uh, businesses are wising up to, you know, sort of ESG and operating more green because consumers tend to be drawn towards businesses that are more eco-friendly and towards products that are sourced in a sustainable way. Um, so do you feel from your personal experience that that rings true and the green halo effect is a very much a real and alive and well thing? Having a green product uh, is certainly now and indeed a green strategy is increasingly moving towards being a a must-have uh, for, for all sectors mm. uh, in, in, in the real economy. And when we survey CFOs on the topic, they're, they're, they're very clear that, that it's now hence a key part of their equity and their credit story um, because they risk otherwise, um, regardless of their own you know, personal views on, 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 on some of those products, they, they're just being left behind in terms of their um, competitive position. And it, it hopefully becomes a race to the top, right? Because the, you, you are at the new product range, and typically your competitors follow, so you have to keep, you have to keep in, in improving. Uh, and, and there is indeed evidence um, you know, strongly suggesting that, 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 that certain customer segments, particularly you know, the, the millennial, the Gen Z generations, um, display much more brand loyalty uh, to companies with, with, with a credible, uh, uh, sustainable product range. And with what's happening in, in sort of entrepreneurship and sort of, uh, sort of early stage companies, an uh, increasing number of them are, are, are trying to also stimulate innovation mm. in, in this area. 
They are, exactly. Yeah, People are really wising up to the urgency of the situation. And I think we've certainly seen that more since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. And the reason I say that is because since then, I think we've become far more aware of our own mortality, but also our own carbon footprint and the impact that we are having on the planet. And um, do you feel that since COVID, we've actually seen more of a shift toward, you know, doing things greener? So buying greener products, um, investing more green? Absolutely. I think COVID, um, as you will put, uh, has highlighted you know, two elements uh, of uh, of ESG very well. Uh, indeed, there's the, the carbon component, right, where we've suddenly got a digitalized uh, and some would say forced <laughs> into greener behavior because we couldn't sort of um, take the plane every week um, and you know, we have to make certain personal adjustments, for instance, in, in, in that way. And I think that that habitualization um, will to an extent continue, right? People will have to become a little bit more conscious about, like you say, their impact on, on, on the planet. And then the other main part of, of, of COVID and the companies have been um, responding to it is indeed the social part. Um, so so the, 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 the responsibility um, that, 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 that companies have towards employees, towards, towards their communities, towards their supply chain. Um, so, so that that element is is, is related, and um, I think it's important that when we do talk about those elements, right, environmental and social, um, we do have to see them as being being quite closely connected. Because ultimately, when the changes, it, it could, would be a major societal mm. disaster. So that 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 climate change, justice, etc., is is also important. Yeah, of course. And it's not just consumer habits that are changing either, is it? I suppose it's also people's individual priorities. And something happened, of course, during the um, the onset of COVID, um, which was called um, sort of the great resignation, wasn't there, where a lot of people moved out of the roles that they were in and into different industries. And there is some evidence out there that suggests that more candidates are starting to turn to companies to go and work where there are, you know, robust CSR and ESG policies because, you know, they want the business they're working for, they want their employer to be championing the uh, the things that they care about. So um, do you feel sort of from your experience that that does ring true and more people are sort of conscious of this when they're putting themselves forward for job roles and then business leaders therefore have to be very, very aware of that because if you're not a company that's thinking about decarbonizing that's thinking about operating sustainably you're going to miss out on what is a shrinking pool of talent in a time where recruitment is actually quite difficult i think that is that is very true uh, and, and we found that also um within mm. um the banking industry where you know perhaps 10 15 years ago the questions we would get from prospective graduates and, and, and then junior staff would perhaps be centered on um, do you have a purchase and acquisitions team, do you have a, an equity trading team that certainly perceive uh, very um, attractive roles um, the, the, the now questions about the sustainability strategy and ethos of the bank um, becoming quite central uh, to, to their um, to their decision to um, uh, to, to, to join uh, to join that employer, um, and I think I think also while that, that's happening at that part of the, the labour market, we're also starting to see it also with um, you know, more and more senior managerial staff. We see people thinking about what kind of planet do I want to leave to my children? 
my grandchildren and, and being proud to work for companies that do take that into account. And again, almost regardless of a sector. So, so it is, it is you know, that, that, I guess, soccer association perhaps, but it, it's turning into a real um, recruitment differentiating point mm. and indeed retention. It is exactly right. And something that businesses do need to be really, really careful about, therefore, in this regard, is falling victim to greenwashing. And that's something, of course, where, you know, something has the air of being sustainable, but uh, it isn't necessarily sustainable at all. And say, for instance, you sort of have a uh, a laptop that you're selling that, you know, is uh, made from sustainably sourced products and you're sort of pushing it forward as a sustainable product, but then you've not taken into account the carbon emissions from having to transport that stock into the store that you're selling it from or the emissions for sort of transporting uh, the components. So it's all those things that are sort of baked into the whole kind of supply chain process that need to be considered. And that can be how companies sort of fall into the greenwashing trap. So, um, what are I've obviously named one example there, but for you, I mean, are there any other common examples of greenwashing that you sort of see day to day within businesses? Yeah, greenwashing is an interesting point because certainly in the financial industry, it's it's one where regulators are are, are increasingly um, focused on 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 how it uh, how it may may arise and what what that does to to consumers and, and to investors. And I think the the laptop example. You gave there is 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 quite interesting because it highlights one of the things that that we see as being a tenet of um, of greenwashing, and that is that it's displayed through very selective disclosure, mm-hmm. only highlighting a, a few elements of a product or need of an entire company, uh, but not necessarily back to my earlier point, the most material uh, ESG metrics or elements. So, so very selective disclosure. You know, or, or you know, it's also characterized by very superficial messages and statements, and and, and not necessarily backing them up with with calculations, with, with relevant detail, with with, with, with proof points. So, so a little a little bit of window dressing. Um, we often see it as well when when claims um, have not been subjected to the proper external review or proper external standard, whether it's kind of just backed up by the company themselves and it doesn't have that external um, external validation. Um, now, clearly there's this obvious ways of, of, of dealing with that. And um, I think one of the ones that, that I would, would, would want to recommend is, is your ongoing engagement with stakeholders mm. um, about your products or services. Again, be that consumers, be that suppliers. Be that your investors, you know, again, what are their UC priorities and other products or services that you're hoping to, to roll out? Are they um, in alignment? Are they seem to be incredible um, by, by those stakeholders? Exactly right. And um, that's how, obviously, we can look to kind of address the issue of greenwashing and make sure that the uh, the communication is consistent with all stakeholders and any particular sort of little loopholes are always picked up on and addressed. Um, but if, um, obviously, you are found as a business to, you know, kind of slipped into the, uh, the greenwashing trap, um, how important is it that you address it? Because, I mean, it's like, there are some ways that you're going to lose out. I mean, I'm not suggesting that you might be penalised for it, but investors could potentially, who are sort of very um, sort of eco-friendly inclined, may well sort of pull out. They might obviously be um, be unimpressed by what they're seeing. So there are lots and lots of ways that businesses could uh, could really struggle if you know they do fall into uh, fall into the trap. Oh, absolutely. 
um, when it comes to greenwashing, when it comes to more broadly ESG controversies, mm. um, investors in particular uh, do have a long, uh, a, a long memory. And if you look at, um, for instance, some of the ESG rating methodologies, it's not unusual for those elements to be picked up even three, four, five years for their actual terms. So being very transparent, being very proactive in, in, in dealing with the issue is absolutely paramount to help um, you know, your stakeholders uh, turn to a new chapter and, and, and look forward. And, and it has been done. If you, if you look at companies who have had such issues in the past five to ten years, um, some of them now are amongst the ESG leaders of their industries because they've, they've taken that, that challenge and that uh, that that problem, and they've, they've turned it into an actual uh, opportunity to, to rethink and restructure uh, their business and, and their corporate ethos. And that's a good way to approach it, isn't it? I think when we sort of suffer the setback of maybe we fall into a little bit of an ESG trap, as it were, we don't want to sort of essentially make that a terminal failure or a significant setback. We can use that as an impetus to actually bounce back, review things and really move forward. And as you say, I mean, so many businesses have really addressed the issue as and where they've seen it and they've been able to turn things around. Uh, absolutely. No, that, that's, that's exactly the right way um, to look at this. Um, and and I, I would add as well that, um, you know, not letting when it comes to your EC improvements, but letting perfect be the enemy of good. You know, I, I have been working with a number of companies and seen cases where if they, they, they want to launch a new ESG strategy or a new ESG financial instrument, um, but because they're, they're trying to achieve perfection, mm. they're spending sometimes years trying to finesse it. Uh, and, 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 and that clearly means that there's no actual real progress at the company because it's still debating what the progress should be. So mm. also be, be very careful um, about that trap. As I said earlier, it is iterative because uh, expectations are evolving, um, issue standards are evolving, what the competitors are doing uh, is evolving as well. So it, it will be iterative and it will, will be subject to continue change. And mm. it, one, one thing perhaps worth adding as well, it, it, it was uh, me a bit of an eye-opener when I was doing my first sustainability project, um, it helps break down a lot of silos within companies. So you suddenly, you know, if you stuff that I work on, you suddenly have a treasurer speaking with a CSR lead, um, you know, speaking with some of the actual project managers, um, speaking with other parts of, of the business. And these are often quite siloed. Mm. Uh, with the larger organizations, parts of the business. But sustainability can create this really interesting collaboration uh, across those functions. And that can only be beneficial, can't it? Sort of opening the communication channels in that way. And I think you were absolutely right in what you said about the... Uh, the rate of change because things are in a constant state of flux aren't they and so I think it's it's wrong to almost approach implementing kind of a robust um, CSR or ESG policy like all at once I mean you've got to be taking steps sort of almost by the day haven't you it's little things at once little bits of progress and then keep building on that rather than sort of introduce one all-encompassing strategy all at once. Absolutely right. Uh, and, and, and through engagement, you, you can finesse that strategy um, and you can also consider what are the right 
short to medium term goals for that strategy because again that there's often this misconception that ESG is about where you get to in 2050 or mm. 2040. You know, a lot of companies have made some of those statements and some of those ambitions, but when you speak to investors, when you speak to stakeholders, they also want to know what is the current management going to try to achieve in the next three, four, five years? And how is that consistent with that longer term trajectory? And, and of course, you understand that picking today's economic environment it's not a hard science, and you may need to change. You may need to course correct. You want to have sense where you're heading, you know, within your uh, tenure within within the company. Yeah, it's amazing what can actually be achieved in a short space of time. I mean, there are plenty of businesses out there at the moment that already say they are carbon neutral, and hopefully that is going to be a positive example for those in the uh, in the future as well. And just talking about um, the future, actually, Arthur, before we uh, we finish up, um, I do want to talk about what sort of your personal uh, sort of goals and ambitions are going to be over the next 12 months as, you know, we continue to look at these projects because... It's important um, in the uh, the context of the uh, the current climate because there's a lot of urgency around shoring up the UK's energy security and understandably so. But when we're hearing talk of more, you know, North Sea oil and gas licences going out, for instance, the, the the key thing is we don't want that to sort of come at the uh, the detriment of the longer term goal, do we, of uh, of bringing those emissions down? Uh, absolutely. Um, it's uh, the, the current energy market crisis. Um, um, that, that, that we are facing clearly requires immediate short-term responses, but that we shouldn't lose sight of where we need to be mm. in the medium to longer term. And as you said, it, it, in, in, in many ways, I like the, the, the importance of having a robust, uh, locally, nationally generated uh, energy uh, energy system. And in terms of my own goals, I mean, there's, there's, there's a number of um, North Stars that, 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 that guide me. I think one is maintaining a, a broad church behind the ESG. I am concerned about polarization within the UK or internationally as well and what that could do to the need for collaboration between different industries, between, between different stakeholders. So how do we maintain that and what role can I in, in that West play, play in facilitating that? Um, and and then, then my other ongoing goal is you know, when, 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 when dealing with people that make financial decisions, Shifting the dial around how they think about ESG—that it's not a why should I bother, why should I do the green financial instrument to you know why not again a mindset shift and that that's happening in more and more sectors um, and then and then linked to that you know getting to a place picking with our investor clients where um, ESG becomes business as usual so when, when they look at an investment opportunity they look at financial returns, the immediate risks, carbon impacts, social, as some examples, that it becomes part of their holistic uh, uh, way of calculating their returns, not some sort of sideshow or incidental Mm. um, sustain. So plenty to get your teeth stuck into, Arthur, and I think it would be fantastic maybe at some point in the uh, the coming months um, over the next year if we could even catch up and just see sort of what kind of green projects uh, sprouts up in the uh, the meantime and we see sort of what progress we've made on that. But um, for now, it's a shame that we've, we're just about out of time on the show because it's been thoroughly uh, brilliant having you uh, join us to talk everything uh, sustainable finance. And uh, do take care, Arthur, and um, 
enjoy um, obviously the uh, the upcoming weekend as well we're recording this um, episode on a Friday so the weekend is uh, ahead of us and uh, yeah really really do appreciate your time on this it's been fantastic Thank you very much Scott I've very much enjoyed the conversation and look forward to the next one Yes, absolutely. It would be fantastic to welcome Dr. Arthur Krebers back onto the show in future. And I'm sure the rest of the listeners tuning into this also share that sentiment. And again, do hope you certainly enjoyed the uh, the conversation today. And uh, just a reminder to all listening in, um, if you do feel you have your own contribution to make to this discussion, or you wish even to bring your own topical matter or issue to the discussion table, then you too can apply to be on the Leaders Council podcast via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Um, as always, I've been your host, Scott Chan on today's episode it's been fantastic to have my guest dr arthur krebers from NatWest on the show as well and to all tuning in please take care enjoy your weekends and goodbye